Well, welcome again to Element Church. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element. So thankful you've chosen, uh, all of you, uh, to be with us today. I want to say hello to our video audience as well. Always glad that you're able to leverage technology and tune in. If you're using Facebook Live or our Live Church online platform, uh, use the share buttons available. You've been doing a great job letting other people know about what God's doing right here at Element. Again, thanks for, for tuning in today. Uh, before we continue, our sermon series. I do want to take a moment to kind of, kind of offer out a challenge as your pastor. We are getting ready to enter into one of the biggest growing seasons of the year for most churches as we head into Easter. In fact, here at Element Church, we've already seen a significant increase in our average attendance compared to 2016. So to give you a frame of reference, in 2016, we averaged 1,388 people every week here at Element uh, so far this year, we are averaging 1,450 people on Sunday. And uh, there's been, yes, you can celebrate that, absolutely. And there's, uh, there's been three Sundays that we have been over 1,500 in attendance. And judging by where we're at today, we might crest that mark or be close to it again today. Here's the challenge with all that. 81% of our attendance comes to the 9 and 11 a.m. service every Sunday. 81%. Now, if you're new here and you're trying to figure out if this is your church home or not, you can choose whatever service best suits you, and I mean that. Uh, but for those of us who kind of call Element Church home, the challenge is for you. On days where we are uh, uh, attendance is a little bit lower, it's no big deal. But on Sundays where we kind of hit that 1,500 mark, our two morning services, especially in the parking lot and e-kids, and it starts to get full even in, in, in here. And so with that in mind, I'm asking some of us who call Element Church home uh, to consider moving from the 9 and 11 a.m. service and attending the 6 p.m. service. And in doing that, you will literally make a decision that directly affects the vision we have here at Element Church, to be a life-giving movement of people having such an impact. If we were gone, our communities would miss us. We believe every chair represents someone who does not yet know Jesus or needs to take a step in Jesus and they don't have a church home yet. And by coming to 6 p.m. service, you are making seats available for the services where most of our guests attend, which is 9 and 11. So I'm just asking you to at least consider that as we move ahead coming up towards Easter. Today is week number three in a four-week sermon series. Excuse me, i got to fix my microphone cable here. This is driving me crazy. Uh, so today is week number three in a four-week sermon series called Confessions of a pastor. I promise you all get it. There we go. And so here is confession number three today. More often than not, I feel like a failure as a parent. More often than not, I feel like a failure as a parent. That while I love my kids, I don't always love the way I parent them. And if you're a parent, I think you've probably been there before. So here's some explaining that I need to do. First of all, whether you currently have kids at home or not, whether you uh, hope to have kids someday or whether you're like, I am never having kids, no way. Uh, I promise you there'll be some next steps for all of us to apply to our lives. Plus, at the very least, you are someone's child. And so maybe you'll, you'll view your parents in a different light, no matter how old they are or how old you are, whether they are living or not. It might help you see your parents in a little bit different light. Second 
second of all, I'll remind us that the goal of these confessions is not just so we can all, you know, commiserate together, have our kumbaya moment, share a struggle, then leave saying life sucks, then you die. That's not the goal of these confessions. The goal is to recognize that all of us have struggles, right? Me included as your pastor. But through Jesus and his word, there is a power to overcome those struggles. Amen. That's the goal of sharing these confessions. And you may not believe in Jesus. And by all means, you have the freedom to not believe here at Element. And you will be loved just the same. And these sermons may not convince you that Jesus is the answer. But maybe they'll help you see that being a Christian doesn't make you perfect either. That just because you believe does not make life a bunch of roses. That we too, as believers, still have struggles and issues that we need to work through. We just believe the answer to those is the power of Jesus and his word. And then lastly, the last explanation is I want to be very, very clear. I love every one of my kids. I am so proud that they are my children. And my biggest fear for this message was I don't want to project anything onto my kids, any guilt onto my kids from being public about my feelings and my struggles. And now that they're older, it's a little bit harder to do. When they were little, I just told stories all the time about them in church. Nobody cared. But now that they're teenagers, they all of a sudden care and I care. Uh, and so, so here, because of that, um, I'm, I'm not letting my kids come to church today in the service. So I just have a little bit more freedom to share what I want to. Uh, our youngest daughter uh, will attend an e-kids service today. And our two oldest daughters are serving in e-kids today. Uh, but they will not be coming to the service or watching it. And I would just ask you to, um, and this goes for all of the staff children at our church, um, don't, don't mention the sermon to them. Don't bring it up. And just, if you would just let our kids be kids, that'd be awesome. Um, because a lot of times we've had people say things to our kids, not necessarily from our church. And this, I didn't share this in the earlier service, so I don't know why I am now. But there have been people who have said to our kids, you, shouldn't you act better? You're a pastor's kid. And that's not fair. And so just let our kids be kids, if you would. Especially today, if you see them, just don't even mention the sermon. They know what I'm preaching on, and I've asked them not to come. And we'll let, we'll let, that, um, we'll let that be that. So I love my kids. I cannot imagine my life without them. I can imagine about a solid week without them. Can I get a witness up in here? But I cannot, I can't, right? I can't imagine my life without my kids. They are a blessing from God. The, the, the thought that God entrusted to my wife and I four eternal souls to care for blows me away. That is a high calling and a high responsibility. In fact, it's the highest calling in my life is to manage, steward these souls that God has given me. So if you don't know who my family is, I want to introduce them to you via some pictures. We just had some family pictures taken, so we had a lot of fun. So here's our family picture. Uh, starting from the left is our oldest son, Jonah. He's 15. And then you have me, our youngest daughter, Jada. She's our baby and my beautiful wife, Sabrina. And then you have Mariah and Michaela. They are 11 months apart. What can I say? My wife can't keep her hands off me. So, <clears throat> and we are having no more. Like we're still trying, but we're not having any more. Can I get a witness for that too? Yeah. <laughs> Confession number four. Um, and, and we, uh, here, here, my kids have amazing personalities. And so here's a picture kind of catches all their personalities. I love that picture of them. And then my wife and I love to gross our kids out, uh, with public displays of affection. And so we took this picture, a good picture of our family's personality as well. Uh, I, I, I love that. 
Before you have kids, if you're a parent, you'll, you'll, you'll understand and you'll agree with me. Before you have kids, you think you'll be the perfect parent, right? And you think you'll have perfect kids because you'll be the perfect parent. In fact, you go out to eat before you have kids, you'll see a family with some children that are out of control. And you say, man, if I was their parent, <laughs> under control, I, I would do this if I were them. My kid will never, ever do that. And you have kids, you go to Walmart, and you see a mom with a toddler throwing an absolute tantrum, and you're like, man, props to you, I know how you feel, man. You're right. You just, you're with them, you know how that is to be in Walmart, and they're throwing an absolute tantrum. When you have kids, you all of a sudden understand, I don't know jack squat about being a parent. It's like, it's like God's way of reminding us we need Him and have no idea what we are doing, right? So I love my kids, but I don't always love the way I parent them. There are many days I go to bed and I just think, man, I shouldn't have said that to them. Or I shouldn't have said it that way. Or I should have invested more time here or done that there or said yes to that question there. We spend a lot of time second guessing ourselves as parents, don't we? I don't know if this ever goes away as a parent, no matter how old you are or your kids are. When your kids behave a certain way or make a decision that you wouldn't make for them, we immediately think we did something wrong. Where did I go wrong as a parent? Where did I fail that made them do or make that choice? Thankfully, my parents never had that with me, but with my siblings, they did. So here's the big idea for today. I didn't really nail this down until this week. This, series, this sermon's been planned for about 13 weeks, but this big idea did not surface until this week when I was studying. It was an encouragement to me. I hope it is for you as well. And it's this. Success as a parent is not found in obedience or outcomes, but in offering them my best. That success as a parent does not come from my child's obedience or outcomes, which, by the way, is what we always focus on as parents. It comes from simply offering them my best. So that's intended to be encouraging, so let me bring us back down again, okay? The problem with that is my best still falls desperately short of what my kids need. Like even in my best, I make mistakes. Even at my best, I still need to ask them for forgiveness when I make mistakes. Which, by the way, you as a parent, when you do something wrong, you should be the first one to seek your child's forgiveness. It's the best thing you can do is model that to them, that dad or mom messed up. I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Even at my best, I can't do everything for my kids. I can't control their outcome or their obedience, even at my best. So because my best still falls short, what if I told you you needed something else in your parenting? If I told you that, you might ask, what else? So here's the big question for today. What else do I need in my parenting? If my best still isn't good enough, it's all I can control, really. But if my best is not good enough, what else do I need? And we're not going not to spend really any time on methods of parenting today. I hope you understand I'm preaching a whole message on parenting in 35 minutes. We need about 35, 35-minute sermons to deal with the issue of parenting. So we're not getting into the practical things today, but more principles. We're going to see some principles in Scripture that relate to our parenting that can bridge the gap from my best and what my kids need because there is a gap. And this is true for you, no matter how old your kids are, no matter how they lived or are living their lives, it's true for you. And if you're not a parent, 
These are some things you can be praying for those who are parents, encouraging them in, even holding them accountable to if they are open to that. And these principles are not parenting principles. They're life principles that I'm applying to parenting. So you can take these principles and relate them to any area of your life and they will still affect you. So the main scripture we're looking at is Judges chapters 13 through 16. Don't panic. We're not reading all of them. We'll read some snippets of Judges 13 through 16. It's in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. Um, and if you, if you want to follow along on the screens, you can, because we're going to jump around a bunch today. If not, use your own Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we'll give you one. Ask for one at guest services. We'll give you one free of charge here in Judges. If you don't know, uh, this is the story of Samson. And most people, even if you've not been to church very much in your whole life, you're at least familiar with parts of the story of Samson. Like I think most of us know that Samson was given incredible strength by God. I kind of picture him with biceps like Pastor Jared. Not that I noticed, but I'm just saying that's what I picture Samson to look like. He was born to a Jewish couple after years of infertility. And while his parents did their best, he eventually did his own thing, found himself in bed with a woman named Delilah, who was from the enemy of Israel, the Philistines. Uh, she talked Samson into telling her where his strength came. Came from, which was the length of his hair. So she seduced him, cut off his hair. And here's, we have the end of Samson's story. I want to start at the end. So here's the end of Samson's story. Judges 16. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought I will do as before and shake myself free. Three different times. He lied to her about where his strength came from and then just kind of broke out of the restraints. But this fourth time, he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him, gouged out his eyes, took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. And if that was the only part of Samson's story we knew, if that's the window we saw, most of us would say, what kind of parents did he have that caused him to end up grinding grain in prison with his eyes gouged out? Like surely he did not have parents who did their best. So let's go to the beginning of the story now, and we're going to see three principles in the life of Samson's parents that I think relate to us today. Judges 13, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 8 and then jump to verse 12. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, even though you've been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You'll become pregnant and give birth to a son and his hair must never be cut for he'll be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If you don't know, a Nazarite was a Jewish person who was dedicated to the service of God and they lived under some specific vows. The vows of not eating forbidden food, not touching a dead body, not uh, drinking any alcoholic beverage and never cutting your hair. So those were the vows of a Nazarite. And then the angel says this, he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. 
The woman ran and told her husband, a man of God appeared to me. He looked like one of God's angels, terrifying to see. So he was not a precious moment angel. I didn't ask where he was from and he didn't tell me his name, but he told me you'll become pregnant and give birth to a son. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food for your son will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite. Then it says this from the moment of his birth until the day of his death, he'll be dedicated to the service of God. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord saying, Lord, please let the man of God come back to us again and give us more instructions about this son who is to be born. God answered his prayer. The angel of the Lord came back again. Verse 12 says this. So Manoah asked the angel, when your words come true, what kind of rules should govern the boy's life and work? So success as a parent, not found in obedience or outcomes, but on offering them my best. My best still falls short. So what else do I need in my parenting? Here's the first thing that I see, and I see it in in his father, Manoah. We need to seek God's counsel. We need to seek God's counsel. I love the fact that Manoah prayed for more instructions on raising this son. He asked the angel, what kind of rules should govern the boy's life and and work? That if I'm going to bridge the gap between my best and what my kids need, I better be asking God, what kind of rules should govern the life of my child? What do I need to be teaching them? What should I be modeling for them? What should I be praying over them? What should I be claiming for my children in the name of Jesus? That my goal, our goal as parents is not to be our child's best friend or even give them the best life. It is to be our best for them. It's our goal in parenting. Ephesians 6 Verse 4, speaking to fathers, ultimately to all parents, says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline, so it's okay to discipline your child, and instruction that comes from who? The Lord. That comes from the Lord. Now listen, I am all for parenting books and parenting resources and parenting classes and parenting conferences and parenting podcasts and parenting uh, sermons. Heck, I'm given a parenting sermon right now. Those are all well and good. My wife and I still use those to this day in every season of life. But parents, if we are not seeking instruction from the Lord, then our seeking has fallen short. We need God's help in our parenting. So not too, not too long ago, a couple of years ago, maybe I'm being very vague in any story I tell today on purpose. I hope you understand. So apologies. I'm not being specific, but um, a couple of years ago, we were kind of in this parenting season where some things were happening in one of our child's life that was just not good. And it seemed like in this particular instance, over and over and over again, the enemy was winning the battle. So much so that I felt like I at least need to ask God, is it time for me to stop praying for this specific issue in our child's life? Like, is it time just to throw in the towel and say, God, we're done praying about this. And in that process, I told my wife, I don't know if we should just stop praying or what. So I got up next morning, talking with my wife, saying, should we stop praying? I was seeking God. Lord, should we stop praying about this issue with this child. And I just started reading in my Bible where I had left off the day before. These verses are not about parenting, 
But I believe that because in that moment I was seeking God's counsel, he gave wisdom. He said this in 1 Samuel 17, verses 8 and 9. Don't stop pleading with the Lord our God to save us from the Philistines, they begged Samuel. So Samuel took a young lamb and offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered him. And as I read that, I've never heard God speak audibly. I'm not sure I want to because I might poop my pants. But I just felt like God, I just felt like God just impressed upon my spirit, just spoke to my heart, okay? I could could hear it in my spirit that, Jeff, there are times... That your kids don't even know they need to ask you to keep praying. So I will ask for them. Don't stop pleading for your children. Don't stop. Because I will come through for you. I will come through for you. And my wife and I are still praying (laughs) through this same issue. So jump ahead now to Judges chapter 14. Full grown man Samson is. Judges 14, verses 1 through 4, years have passed now from his birth. And we believe that Manoah and his wife at least raised Samson in the rules that they were told to. And this is what it says. One day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home and told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry? Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife and understand that it was against God's law for a Jewish man to marry a Philistine woman? So in doing that, Samson will be breaking his Nazarite vow. And so I'm wondering, I'm just putting myself in Manoah and his wife's shoes. Were they thinking, this is not how we raised you? Now I thought we did everything right. Where do we go wrong? Where do we fail as your parents? Don't make this decision. But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. His father and mother, look at this, didn't realize the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at that time. So success as a parent is not found in obedience or outcomes, although we pursue that. It's found in offering my best. My best still falls short, so what else do I need? I need to seek God's counsel. Number two thing I see is this. I need to surrender to God's control. (laughs) I need to surrender to God's control. This, This blew me away, okay? Super encouraging to me. For Samson, in this story, even in going against the way he was raised... Even in doing something that was against the law of God, the scripture tells us that God was still at work in that. That his parents didn't realize the Lord was using this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines, which I will remind us was the very purpose God gave Samson in the first place, was to take down the Philistines. And now even in his disobedience, God was using Samson's disobedience to dominate the Philistines. Blows me away. So the Bible doesn't say this, okay? Doesn't say this, so I'm going to assume it. So please understand, I am putting my opinion on Scripture at this point. But I assume, based on the kind of people that Samson's parents already revealed themselves to be, people of God, I assume they came to a place at some point, maybe in this very moment, where they surrendered to God's control 
in their parenting. I think the hardest thing to do as a parent is surrender control. When our kids are little, you can make them do what you want. But for those of you who have kids who get older, you lose that power. And there comes a point where your child, no matter how old they are, is free to make a decision. And you have to surrender them to God's control. So perhaps in this moment they did that. And here, here's a truth I'm learning to understand. I see it in the story of Samson. I, I'm not fully sure I, I comprehend it, but I believe it to be true. And I hope this encourages parents. That God doesn't cause our kids to do evil. But he can use their evil to work for his cause. God doesn't cause our kids to do evil. But he's big enough to take their stupid decisions and work it for his gain and his good and his glory. They are never outside of God's control, ever. No matter what decision they make. They didn't realize the Lord was at work in this. And I wonder for how many of us parents, we don't realize the Lord is at work in this, in this. We found ourselves in a parenting wrestling match again with God not too long ago. I'll say I did. My wife's a way better Christian than me. (laughs) But some things again weren't happening the way I thought they should be happening in our parenting. And I was reminding God about how things weren't going as I planned. I'm not sure if you ever do that. When I do, it doesn't go very well. But I was reminding God how things weren't going as I had planned as a parent for this child. And what I've learned is whenever I remind God about something, he usually reminds me of who's actually in charge, right? And so I was letting God know. I was letting them have it. Like, God, don't you know how much I love my kids? Don't you know how much I I planned for them and dreamed for them and prayed for them? And this is not what I want for my child, God. And God, again, not audibly, but just pressed in on me and asked me this question. Jeff, do you love your children more than I do? I was like, well, you see, God, well, if you, no, no. And God just said, Jeff, I know you love your kids, but I actually died for them. So I think I got this. Do you trust me with your kids or not? And I can honestly say, I had a come to Jesus moment recently where I had to let go. And this is my prayer. This is hard to pray. God, whatever it takes for my kids to know you and follow you, I trust you. Whatever it takes. The scary part about that is I know what it's taken for some people to acknowledge Jesus in their life. That for some people, it's like Samson, who we'll see in a moment, had to hit rock bottom before he ever looked up. And I don't want my kids to hit rock bottom. I'm trying to protect them from all that. And God's saying, Jeff, do you love them more than me? Do you love them more than me? And it was in that season that God gave me a verse of Scripture that I'm now praying over every one of my kids. In good times and bad, this is my prayer for my children. Again, it's not, a, not really a parenting verse. It kind of is. It's from 2 Samuel 14, verse 14. In this story, King David, his son Absalom, was trying to overthrow the king's throne. So his own son was trying to kill David. 
somebody comes to David and gives him this advice about his son. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. That God actually devises, schemes up ways in the midst of our children's disobedience to bring them back to him. But we have to trust that God's in control. Whatever it takes, God. And God, again, says to me, do you love your kids more than I do? Can you actually take their disobedience and work it for my good? Can you, Jeff, devise ways to bring them back to you? I didn't think so. So you worry about providing Wi-Fi. Let me worry about the future. That's good parenting advice right there. And here's the thing. After the first part of Judges 14, we don't see or hear from Samson's parents again. Where were they? I don't know. Were they alive? Were they dead? We don't know. All of chapter 13, they were the key focus. The first part of chapter 14, they were there up until the wedding when Samson goes off the rails. Maybe that's why. Maybe they stepped back and said, God, like we're done. Like we, we've done all we can. We surrender. I don't know. All I know is this, is it gets crazy after chapter 14. You should read it. It's hilarious and sad. Like chapters 14 through 16 of Judges, read it. Because Samson just goes off the rails. He rips a lion apart by the jaws with his bare hands and a lion attacks him. He, he attacks 30 men, steals their belongings to pay off a debt that he owed. He called his fiancee a heifer. He really did. You should read it. It's hilarious. I wouldn't recommend it, but he did it. Ironically, not surprisingly, his fiance married another man, which I would too if I was called a heifer. He was so mad she married another man that he caught 300 foxes, tied their tails together in pairs, stuck a torch in their tails, and let them loose in a field where his wife lived and around the town, burned the whole field down. Sounds like something I'd do when I was a teenager. He was then captured by 3,000 men. He allowed them to capture him, tore the ropes off that they put on him, grabbed a jawbone of a donkey, and killed a 1,000 Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey. He then hired a prostitute. Surprisingly, that did not go well for him. He was so angry with the prostitute situation, he ripped the gates of the city off their hinges and carried them up a mountain. It all comes to a crashing halt with Delilah. His life was out of control. And there with Delilah, she seduces him to tell her his secret. And he does. It's my hair. If my hair's cut, I'll lose my strength. So she seduces him, cuts off his hair, calls in the Philistines. He has no strength now. God left him. They arrest him, bind him, gouge out his eyes, tie him to a grain mill where he's grinding grain in a prison. And I have to believe this is not where Samson's parents thought their child would be. This is not the goal they had for this promised son that was given in the midst of infertility. Did they feel like a failure? I don't know. They may not have been alive. We don't know. All I know is this. This is so good. All I know is this. Judges 16.22. In the middle of that prison grinding grain says this. But before long, his hair began to grow back. What does that mean? 
It means God wasn't done with Samson yet. And if your child's still breathing, God's not done with them either. And if you're still breathing, God's not done with you. There's still a purpose in your life. And the Philistines gathered everyone into this temple, the temple of Dagon, their pagan god. All the Philistine leaders were there. Uh, there was 3,000 people on the temple roof. And Samson was brought out to mock as we've captured God's chosen one. Samson asked a servant, put my hands on the pillars. And then Samson prayed. <laughs> this is so powerful to me. That maybe Samson got to a point where he hit rock bottom so he had to look up. His prayer is so powerful. With his hands on the pillars, he prayed, Sovereign Lord, would you remember me again? Would you give me strength one more time so I can slay the Philistines, fulfill my purpose? And he pushed those pillars. The temple collapsed. And Judges 16 verse 30 says this, So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. And remember, this is so good. The promise about this child was he would be dedicated to the service of God from the day of his birth to the moment of his death. And in the moment he died, he fulfilled his purpose. Meaning, if they're still breathing, God's not done. I wonder... I wonder somewhere in a private home, somewhere far away from Samson, I wonder if somewhere on their knees, tears running down their face, hearts that ached, I wonder if there was Samson's parents who were pleading for their child. God, remember our child. Bring him back to you, God. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. We don't even know where he is, but God, you do. So would you do something with our child, Samson? I wonder if they were holding on to that promise God gave them from the moment of his birth to the moment of his death. He will be dedicated to my service. That's the third thing we've got to remember and bridge the gap in our parenting. We've got to stand on God's commitment. That we've got to seek his counsel. We've got to surrender control. We have to stand on his commitment. What's his commitment? I love them more than you do. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Listen, I don't know if this sermon was for anybody but me. I actually planned this message 13 weeks ago. But I feel like today, like today, literally, I feel like this message is what my wife and I needed to hear. And so if God planned this for me, all glory to him. If this landed on someone else, praise God. Offer our best. It's all we can do. We can't control anything else but our best. And if we seek God and surrender to his control and stand on his promises, he will bridge the gap. Because in all honesty, if all we give to our children is our best and they never experience God's best, we've failed. They need God to at least see him, have the opportunity to know him in their lives. I love you guys. Thanks for letting me be honest with you today. Let me pray for you and then remain seated. Pastor Steve has some closing remarks. God, you're so good. 
Lord, I thank you that in the, in the life of these two random people in Scripture, we see some principles that relate to our life. That, God, we got to seek your counsel, surrender to your control, and stand on your commitments. All we can do is offer our best. Lord, we need you to bridge the gap because we can't change our children. Only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.